0: Thank you for tuning in to the Hope, Strength, Courage podcast, love and support for parents whose kids are fighting for their lives, a weekly podcast created to support parents and caregivers of children diagnosed with cancer, where you will find resources collected to help you face each day with hope, strength, and courage. From interviews with the top experts in their fields, doctors, psychologists, chaplains, inspiring frontline workers in pediatric oncology as they share their best advice as well as day-to-day advice collected from other cancer moms and leaders in personal growth and development from individuals who understand how hard it can be i hope you will feel better prepared to cope with the day-to-day challenges of caring for your child hi i'm laura lane and i'm your host My own daughter Celeste was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 12. In 2015, I wrote about our experiences in the book, Two Mothers, One Prayer, Facing Your Child's Cancer with Hope, Strength, and Courage. Since that time, I've dedicated thousands of hours to share with other parents and caregivers the resources, tips, tools, skills, and strategies I learned that helped our family to stay happier, healthier, and more hopeful. My goal is to share with you my interviews with experts to support you as you care for a child with cancer. Today's episode features my interview with world-renowned pediatric surgeon, author and speaker, Dr. Bernie Siegel. What I love most about this interview is Dr. Bernie, or just Bernie as he prefers to be called. What I love most about Bernie is his storytelling. I could listen to him all day. He has such an incredible, honest, open way about him with both children and adults. His stories are not only about his patients, but also his own children. I hope you will enjoy part one of my interview with him as much as I did. I am pleased to formally introduce you to Dr. Bernie Siegel. Dr. Siegel is a retired clinical professor, pediatric surgeon, renowned author, and speaker. For many, Bernie needs no introduction. He has touched many lives all over our planet. He attended Collegiate University and Cornell University Medical College. His surgical training took place at Yale New Haven Hospital, West Haven's Veteran Hospital, and the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. He retired from practice as an assistant clinical professor of surgery at Yale of general and pediatric surgery back in 1989 to speak to patients and their caregivers. In 1978, he originated Exceptional Cancer Patients, a specific form of individual and group therapy utilizing patients' drawings, dreams, images, and feelings. ECAP is based on care Carefrontation, a safe, loving, therapeutic confrontation which facilitates personal lifestyle changes, personal empowerment, and healing of the individual's life. That year, he also began talking about patient empowerment and the choice to live fully and die in peace. As a physician who has cared for and counseled innumerable people whose mortality has been threatened by an illness, Bernie embraces a philosophy of living and dying that stands at the forefront of the medical ethics and spiritual issues our society grapples with today. He continues to assist in the breaking of new ground in the field of healing and personally struggling to live the message of kindness and love. His best-selling books include Love, Medicine, and Miracles, Peace, Love, and Healing, and How to Live Between Office Visits. Bernie has been named one of the top 20 spiritually influential living people on the planet by the Watkins Review. Bernie and his wife and coworker Bobby, live in the suburb of New Haven, Connecticut.
1: I'm so glad to have you with us, Bernie. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you very much. And I may make one small correction. That was the organization was called Exceptional Cancer Patients, not CARE. Okay. Exceptional Cancer Patients.
1: Thank you for yeah. correcting me on that.
2: I mean, they were, my wife labeled them as exceptional people, so that became the title. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, yeah. that's one of the questions that I have for you. Maybe we'll start with that. Go ahead. When you created Exceptional Cancer Patients, what element of the program could you share that would help parents whose children have cancer, that um, would help them with their child's treatment? Well, Tell us a little bit more of that program and, and how it would help.
2: The interesting thing was how few people participated. I sent 100 letters to patients with cancer saying, if you want to live a longer, better life, come to a meeting because one of my patients said, I need to know how to live between office visits. So that's what I was going to focus on, because as doctors you feel like a failure because you can't cure every disease. But I realized I could help everybody live, Mm -hmm. and then I'm amazed only 12 women showed up instead of 200 people that I was expecting, Um, and I realized a lot of it has to do with failure. So, when you say children, it's how we're brought up, Mm -hmm. when somebody says my mother's words were eating away at me and maybe gave me cancer, she's afraid that if I try to get well and I don't, I'm a failure again. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: See, I ask people to do drawings, answer questions, read books, because again, it's what's going on within them at another level, like what a dream portrays, All right. And drawings will show the same thing, unconscious material. So you say to somebody, draw a picture, I'm not an artist. Now, that's one place where children tend to have less trouble than adults. Because the kids aren't worried more often about being graded in their art. But some of them are. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to let your kids know. This is not, we're not judging you or grading you, you see, because when I child in first grade was asked to draw a picture and then the teacher criticized her in second grade and she wrote about this. She said, when the teacher asked me to draw a picture I left my paper blank. She didn't want to. Fortunately, she had a wonderful teacher. See? He reparented her because he said, the snowfall, how clean and white and beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And suddenly she's a success, you see, and that, that stayed with her, her whole life and what I realized is that the children had faith in me. I didn't realize, you see, you're not trained when you're trained as a pediatric surgeon on how to talk to children. I have on my website berniesiegelmd.com an article entitled Deceiving People Into Health, because I realized the kids were listening to me, had faith in me and their Mm -hmm. parents, Yes and we're interpreting what I said in a specific way so if I said you'll go to sleep when you go in the operating room the kids fell asleep as we wheeled them into the operating room and I realized that's what you told them what happened and it got to a point where people in the operating room the nurses and anesthesiologists used to burst out laughing because all these kids would fall asleep because I realized hey it's good for the kids (laughs) (laughs) I laugh every time I tell this because One boy started yelling at me when I picked him up put him on the operating table, he woke up I said what are you yelling at me for? He said you told me I was going to sleep and I sleep on my stomach, (laughs) you see, and I'm turning him back over to get his appendix out. Yeah. And so I would lie to them, take an alcohol sponge, say this will numb your skin, you won't feel the needle. And you'd be amazed at the percentage of kids who say why don't the other doctors do that? I mean, some will say I felt it, but, you know, it was a totally different reaction Mm -hmm. to the feeling. Yeah. And so I would say to parents, get a bottle of vitamins. If your child has a reaction to whether it's chemotherapy, surgery, whatever it is, just say, oh, here's the pill that will help you feel better. And you give them a vitamin. And you'd be amazed at how many of them, oh, that's wonderful, thank you, I feel better. I mean, even hair-growing pills when they're getting chemotherapy. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
2: Because, again, it's easier to hypnotize the kids because, as I say, they have faith in all these people. Yes. Whereas adults have a tougher time and they have to work on the imagery. So help your child visualize what they want to occur. Yes. Don't let them be frightened by words about what's going to happen. Um, Tell them it doesn't have to, that you can change that by picturing it differently. And I I give you the advice, uh, I know you know that, one of our children at age seven said, I need an x-ray of my leg. Now, I was telling him to take a hot bath, because he said, my leg hurts, my knee hurts. And one day he said, I need an x-ray. I said, what do you know about (laughs) x-rays? He said, I need one. Well, the x-ray showed a bone tumor. And boy, did I feel terrible and guilty. And I'd say to the parents, do what feels right for you. If you're going to have guilt, fine. Go get your x-rays. Go get your tests. You know, so that you don't three months later say, oh, God, look what I did. I didn't. Anyway, from the x-ray, it looked like a malignant tumor. You know, this replacing the bone and so forth and uh, I came home after having seen his x-ray what's in my head as a doctor they'll cut his leg off, he'll probably die in a year I mean all this horrible stuff this was before I got into this kind of work if Mm -hmm. you know what I mean yes Uh, I'm a lot different today if that happened Mm
1: -hmm. because
2: he was my therapist and I would live his message the next day he came into the little office I have at home where I'm sitting at the desk. Dad, what is it, Keith? Can I talk to you for a minute? Sure, what is it? You're handling this poorly. <laughs> That's from a seven-year-old, see?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What does he mean? We're trying to have a nice day. We have five children. We are trying to have a nice day, and you want us in our room depressed, worrying about next year. Can we please go out and have a nice day? <laughs> <laughs> And it's what I say, he became my psychotherapist. And we were very fortunate because he had a rare benign tumor, one that is very painful but is benign. Uh Um, But he taught me a lot, and I've seen the change in me over the years. And when things happen, I'm not into statistics and what's going to happen to you. I'm into how do we have a nice day. Uh Because I've learned what we call... um, Uh, What's the word I will Self-induced healing. Mm -hmm. If you get well when you're not supposed to, a doctor says, oh, you had a spontaneous remission or regression. No, it's not spontaneous. It's because of what that child did. Here's another specific example. You know, you talk about the drawings and the imagery. Boy had a brain tumor. He he wrote a book uh, afterwards called, My Book for Kids with Cancer. Oh, it's a wonderful story, see, and it ends with, and someday I'm going to grow up and be a doctor and take care of kids with cancer, you see, he turned it into something very positive, but his image was, he had these airplanes flying around in his brain, blasting the tumor. Yes. And, you know, fine, his parents, you know, he's playing a game with it, go ahead and do it. Yeah. The doctors took all the hope away, as far as the parents were concerned but one day the boy said to his parents, I don't see a tumor anymore when I'm doing my, you know, imagery in my airplanes blasting it and they noticed he was acting better and seemed healthier so they thought, well, if he's going to die, what the hell is, might as well send him to school anyway though, you know, yeah. because there's no point in his sitting home, so they sent him back to school. A month or so later in the gym, he was knocked down during a game and hit his head on the floor and that got everybody frightened because he has a brain so they sent him for x-rays what was missing, there no longer was any calcification on the x-ray which had been present in the tumor
1: uh-huh.
2: it was gone and his tumor never recurred and so again, working with the kids, the imagery, the hope uh, you know, the one day at a time because what you find is, which is harder in adults that your body feels the chemistry that your emotions present it with.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, as I say, Monday morning, well this is another example between kids and adults, I'm giving a lecture at a business where one of our sons happened to work, they had health day for the whole company, mm-hmm. so I'm speaking, and I said, what day of the week bad for your health? Well, one of our grandchildren was sitting there and he yelled, Saturday! And his father, our child, said, no, no, Sam, that's not the right answer. I said, John, it's the perfect answer. Why? Because what all adults answer? Monday. We have more heart attacks, stroke suicides. What does a kid answer? Saturday. Why? Because he's having a wonderful day, running around, knocking himself out, and he thinks that's bad for him, <laughs> you know, for his health. No, he gets tired. He takes a nap. <laughs> yeah. But when you, emotionally it's a Monday, you know, oh I hate it, and oh I have to go to work, and yeah, that affects your health. Mm -hmm. So again, it's to work at loving your life, loving your body, and uh, to let the kids do that, as well as adults. To look at what will make you happy, and to not be angry at your body for having a disease, but loving it. One, again, just so people know, I don't make up any of these stories. Here's a young lady who had polio as a child, so she was mad at her body for the deformity and then she developed uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, it's called Lou Gehrig's disease and she's developing paralysis, she said, I didn't want to die hating my body so I sat naked in front of the mirror and loved it and she literally told me that she went inch by inch, I love my toes. I love my foot, my ankle, and she would go through this day after day. The disease disappeared.
1: That's the the same thing that Louise Hay did with her cancer as well.
2: Yeah. Now, again, you have to realize that you're not setting yourself up to fail, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Because I always say this to people, that I don't want you looking in the mirror, you know, if you don't get well, saying, oh, you dumbbell, you should have done this, you should have done that. It's about doing what is right for you. So there are some people who don't want to eat vegetables, even though it could be good for you, and would rather have an operation. Fine. They'll do beautifully. Because, again, you see, when I talk about deceiving into health, there are people who, due to medical errors, receive no treatment, the doctors didn't know they weren't treating them. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they had all the reactions to the treatment they thought they were getting, including tumor shrinking. You're not being radiated because the machine was repaired and they didn't put the radioactive material back in. You're not getting chemotherapy because a nurse makes a mistake and doesn't put it in the solution. Mm -hmm. But does your hair fall out? Does your skin get red? Does your tumor shrink? Yeah. Yeah. And these doctors, the reason I heard these stories is that the doctors were so upset that they hadn't treated them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it went on for many weeks because of the reactions the patients were having. Yeah. And I explained to them, don't feel guilty, it's not your fault. They made you believe you were treating them because they acted like they,
1: they
2: all the other patients did. Yeah. yeah, And so that's why I say deceiving people into health is good too. Yeah. So, there, there were many people I would see in the office that I would treat with, you might say, treatments that weren't considered of any value, but when they were told there's nothing else we could do for you, I always came up with something, see, yeah. and uh, had them back in the office, you know, regularly and you know, gave them a pep talk and did the treatment, and it was amazing how well they would do because of their beliefs, and the families were always very grateful.
1: There was there was something that we found that with my daughter when she was going through her treatments and Haley was going through hers at the same time they were usually one or day Haley's treatments were usually one or two days ahead of Celeste's and so Haley's uh, counts would go up and I tell Celeste oh Haley's counts went up yesterday and sure enough the next day Celeste's counts would go up right because that's yeah. what she expected was supposed to happen right. We planted when, the idea in her head and her body went, oh, is that what I'm supposed to do? Okay, yeah. I'll do that.
2: That's why I say the imagery of treatment in a positive you know, way changes that because we know again from studies, people's white counts are going down on the way to treatment before you even get there. Right. And the other is, you see, especially with kids, you could say, oh, your white cells are like popcorn, so make a lot of you know, popcorn.
1: Oh yeah the accounts they're
2: go up again yeah but again, it's find an image that works for them yeah. if you know what I mean because if you decide what the image should be but it doesn't feel right for the child or your family member, then it's not going to have that powerful effect. They need to I often say it's not about killing. you see that the child who had an airplane blasting his tumor fine that's his game mm-hmm. They. But uh, I've had patients who say I don't want to kill anything. See, So mm-hmm. they have to have a way of carrying it away. One person, it's a block of ice. God's light'll melt it. You know. Yeah.
1: That's you exactly. Can have a lot what of
2: pets. Eat. You could have a pet dog eating up your tumor. You know, and <laughs> yeah. being your immune system. So it doesn't feel like something bad. They're protecting me and helping me. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah those are all wonderful ideas. This interview is one of my favorites. Please join us for Part 2 next week as I continue the interview to learn more about the books Bernie has written and to hear more of his wonderful funny stories. To learn more about Dr. Bernie Siegel, you can visit his website, TheBernieSiegelMD.com. That's T-H-E-B-E-R-N-I-E-S-I-E-G-E-L-M-D.com. Before we end our show today, we have one last segment. Over the last few years, I have asked other cancer moms what advice they wish they had known when their child was first diagnosed. I've compiled that information and will be sharing their advice each week. You can go ahead and download the top 101 pieces of advice that I put together as a mini e-book at twomothersoneprayer.com slash advice. Today's advice comes from Missy. She said, This is kind of small in the grand scheme of things, but it really helped us out. We would put numbing cream over my son's port before leaving for clinic. But then we had to put on one of those very sticky bandages over top. Peeling the bandage off hurt and made his skin raw. Someone told us that we could go ahead and take a piece of Glad Press and Seal to put over the cream. It stuck to his skin just enough to keep the cream in place and didn't irritate his skin. This was a huge thing for us. Thanks Missy for sharing that. If you have advice you've learned along the way that you wish someone had told you weeks, months, or years earlier, I invite you to fill out the contact form on our website, slash contact, and I will be sharing your advice with our listeners on future shows. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule today to listen to the Hope Strength Courage podcast. I look forward to sharing more experts and advice with you again next Wednesday. Please remember to take a minute to subscribe to the show. Thanks also need to go out to our Hope Strength Courage production team, which consists of Kyle Outridge Productions and music by Fizz Anthony. To learn more about myself, Laura Lane, and to order my books, please visit twomothersoneprayer.com.